A specialized developmental exercise is one in which you're highly confident, if not, you can guarantee that there's going to be transfer to the competition exercise because it's so highly specific. So, for example, if I if I'm a hammer thrower and I pick uh, like throwing throwing the weight, maybe that's I'm going to be highly confident that will transfer to to throwing the hammer further. Now, if I'm a field sport athlete and my competition exercise is basically sprinting in the context of sport, so different starting positions, making decisions, changing direction, all that kind of stuff. And I take a tenth off of my 10 meter time. Does that guarantee me or predict with a high level of confidence that I'm going to beat more defenders, score more tries, uh, make more tackles? And the answer is, unfortunately, no. And Jake makes the point. That's because you've completely negated the influence of technical skill, uh, tactical awareness and decision making in the performance of that skill. That was physical preparation coach Kierwen of Flat talking about building speed in context of team sport development. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Hello, coaches, athletes, parents, trainers, and whoever else is randomly listening to the show. This is Joel Smith bringing you episode 125 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today we got my man, Kier Wenham Flat. Um, I've known Kier or known of Kier for a long time, but for some reason, strange reason, I let 124 episodes go by before we actually sat down and were able to chat. And man, Kier is one brilliant dude. And this it's awesome stuff. You know, the more I do this show, um, I'm like a, a movement guy, a speed guy, apply metrics. I like lifting too. Um, but I, my, my muse is always, how does the body, human body move? Maybe that caters more towards individual sports. Um, the show is continually getting me out of boxes. And if you are a sports performance coach, strength coach, physical preparation coach, whatever they call it these days at your institution, um, there's probably a few names for it. I think we're learning as a community that just merely living in the weight room and not having an intimate understanding of what is going on on the field and how to how athletes uh, play better, how they can use their speed in play, the positions and the the perception and the reaction 
and opening and closing perception loops faster as, as Kira's going to get to. Um, that's a huge part of it. And um, if you've been listening to the recent episodes, honestly, I feel like it all was really kicked off with the one we did with um, Sean Mishka, Michael Zwiefel, and Scott Salwasser. That's just caused this snowball for me personally of just seeing more and more and more what it takes to... Um, we all want to get people faster, right, and stronger and more confident. And there's the mental side of it all too. But but what it takes to help teams win, what can we do to create transfer in every last ounce of our program? Kier is an absolute savage when it comes to program design around the field sport athlete, uh, not only in terms of finding transfer through conditioning means and speed and coordination, recreating game speed, but also creating a robustness in the athlete that needs to be good for multiple games throughout a season rather than peaking at single competitions. Um, his, he's particularly well-versed in rugby. He's coached pro, uh, professional teams on multiple continents. Uh, he is the founder of RugbyStrengthCoach.com. He is currently a strength and conditioning specialist at the College of William & Mary, and before that he was at Richmond, uh, University of Richmond with uh, Jay DeMeo. Uh, so not only is Kier awesome at rugby, but he has experience with multiple sports. So for today's show, uh, Kier's going to chat a little bit about this is a common buzzword, especially with the, the Bosch world. And as well as to, you know, we, we've done this podcast with John Kyler. He's going to talk about his ideas on coordination training for field sports. Uh, he's going to talk about building a robust athlete versus just a Ferrari and what type of athlete is more adaptable in the team sport environment. He's going to talk about the specific ways that he develops uh, energy systems and conditioning for field sport athletes, specifically rugby, but really applicable to any collision sport. He's going to talk about, uh, and this is really cool, how to measure uh, linear, basically game speed, game speed versus sports speed, uh, or game speed versus track speed, tra game speed versus 40-yard dash speed, and uh, some facets and interesting nuances there. He's going to talk about what mental toughness really is in context and how to train for it. I know we hear mental toughness and instantly check out, but mental toughness is a thing, but just it's context as, as with everything. Uh, finally, he's going to talk about the health performance spectrum and sports performance, and as well as uh, his take on using Milan Jovanovic's agile periodization system. So uh, this is a real treat, no matter what sport you work with, system you work with, whether you're track, physical prep, personal trainer, there is, there's great stuff for everybody in this episode, and I really enjoyed finally getting to connect with Kier Win and Flat. So let's get on to the show. Kier, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today, man. Pleasure, mate. I've uh, been a fan for a long time, so it's uh, an honor to be on. I'm not sure I've uh, earned my place to be on, given the uh, the level of people that you have on, but yeah, it's a pleasure. No, I, I'm, I've been, hey, likewise, no, I've been following you for a while as well. And no, I'm, I'm super excited to talk to you. We had just talked, um, you know, about five minutes ago, how you're a big team sport guy. I'm like, well, I'm kind of the opposite. I'm, I'm really into individual sports. Not to, well, I just typecasted myself a little bit, but I, I'm excited to learn from you all the things that I think I, I try to think about with field sports and um, team sports and the, the regards of a lot of speed training and coordination, and all that stuff. And uh, so, well, I don't know, we were kind of just talking about this, but, you know, variability and coordination training and, and I mean, for sprinting or sport or skill movements, um, I think is a really interesting topic. And so what's your thought on all that work for, for rugby? I, I guess that's like the most broad or general question in the world. But um, 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but in terms of just, let's just say this, in terms of coordination, what's your just take on the idea of, of quote-unquote coordination training for, for team or field sports? What does that mean to you? I would I would approach it from like a, a completely different angle. So, have you read uh, any of the books of Nassim Taleb? I have, yeah. Um... Yeah. So, ro- robustness or, or anti fragility. So, you know, fragile things are or fragile things break or or fail to respond to environments which are variable, volatile, highly unpredictable, all that kind of stuff, and things which are robust are able to function under unpredictable variable environments and things which are anti-fragile actually thrive under those those environments and you know if you think about uh, the stopwatch sports they tend to be a lot more predictable and manageable environments that you can you can prepare athletes for a very narrow set of demands physically tactically technically psychologically uh, compared to the field-based sports so if you think about all the different variables that are playing the, the team-based sports, they are highly volatile, highly unpredictable, highly uh, variable, you know, weather, opposition, playing style, pitch dimensions, um, position of player, ball, all around you, stuff like that. That is almost the, the definition of those environments. And we have athletes that are trying to execute motor patterns uh, and respond to different situations on the field of play. So we have to strive for athletes which are robust to those demands. And that's kind of a realization that I've come to in the last year, and I, I wrote it down, which is extreme specialization is the enemy of robustness. The Bugatti Veyron is the, is the fastest production car in the world, or it was, but if the zombie apocalypse hit tomorrow, you'd want to be driving a Toyota Hilux because... That's it's the most robust. There's, there's a reason all the terrorists are driving that, and not a, a sports car in Afghanistan, because it's extremely robust in uh, to unpredictable environments. And the challenge for me in team sports is making athletes that are specialized enough to meet to to excel a narrow number of skills, but at the same time be robust to unpredictable environments. And that has been the biggest value to me in trying to understand the role of variability and coordination in sporting movement in field-based sports um, from guys like Franz Bosch, Chris Corfis, uh, John Pryor. And um, that is an extremely <laughs> wordy answer. Did that, did that answer a little bit? No, no doubt. I, I think that you, you look at the, the visualization of yeah, Prius versus a, a Bugatti, right? And like, uh, to me, one of the the really cool things about working with well and, and probably the the most outside of being my, my track and field background you know, i work with tennis players and there's a little more it's just like there's a different skill set to how they move like track it's like okay out of the blocks you're going to be here with your position this is what happens to your shins and your arms and here's the timing and then well team sports it's like you're, you're moving it's like okay and then you have top end speed so you have two things if you're coaching sprinters but it's like mm-hmm. okay tennis you have the serve, the split scale, rotation, like, and then you got rugby and it's like, how many more skills are on top of that, that you have yeah. to have some sort of um, coaching plan for. And so uh, do you want to get into like, like, how do you go about approaching speed and movement in, in a field sport um, in light of some of those principles of coordination and being robust? So uh, how I try to approach motor learning, I've, a real big influence on me has been Jeff Moyer. 
so D- DC Sports Training. Um, he's obviously a real big yeses guy, and I've, I've tried to marry up those different ideas together. But what really struck me about speaking to him is is he calls it the concept of hard skill and soft skill. So and Franz Bosch would call this fluctuators and attractors. So the attractors or the hard skill or those elements of the motor pattern which never change from rep to rep they're always going to be the same and elite performers are going to be able to get into those attractor states very very quickly and very very consistently um in whatever movement pattern it is they're going to use and then you have fluctuators or soft skill those are the conditions which change from rep to rep and um we have to have you have to create situations for athletes to ex- experience and explore those fluctuators so they're able to be prepared for those demands so what i i try and do with my athletes is first uh put them in an environment where we're making it as simple as possible for them to find those attractor states and you know i think the terminology is you know deepen the attractor wells make it easier for them to to get into those positions uh in whatever skill it is we're doing cement it again and again and again in a closed environment and then once you've done that then you have to start providing them with the opportunity to explore those those fluctuator states and learn how to to tweak and modify the motor patterns that they're they're performing um in in variable environments first and then lastly i try and put them in a situation where they can solve problems with what they're doing so we add in uh a tactical or problem solving component because once you take that cognitive attention away from the skill and start putting it towards uh, a sporting problem normally with rugby players that's when it turns to absolute crap so you have to and until you see an improvement in speed on the on on the field of play it doesn't matter how much you've improved their their 40 in training for example because it has to be applied on the field of play and then lastly is executing the game so you know the four phases i would say for us is closed environment attractors then we go into more of an open environment or variable conditions fluctuators then we put them in strict drills where we're shaping the task so that without knowing it you have to demonstrate the behavior that i want to see and solve a problem and then lastly we're going to put you in a a a highly contextual environment maybe a team environment where you have to execute that in the conditions of the game and i i think the more control you you exert on the situation the more likely it is you're going to see the behavior that you want to see but there's going to be less context and less validity and then the less uh control you exert over the situation the more realism you're going to see but the more the athlete is going to revert to type so it, it's a question of what's appropriate and when during the athlete's career during the preparation stuff like that yeah, I, I'd imagine too, especially for older athletes, established athletes versus younger athletes, it probably changes quite a bit. Absolutely. I was like, yeah, colleague of mine, Graham Morris in Australia, every time he sees something that upsets him on social media, he sends it to me with a few four-letter words. And it's like, for example, if you have athletes that are incapable of controlling their bodies in, let's say, a, a build-up, not even a, a maximal sprint, should you stick a water bag on their back and start doing wickets from a standing start? No. So it, it becomes a question of tailoring the, the complexity and the difficulty of the skill uh, that you're putting in front of the athlete relative to their, their development and, and where they are in their training. Yeah. It's like 
the more I have learned about the team, I mean, it's all through podcasts I've learned about more of the team sport, field sport training. Otherwise, yeah. I would have very little ideas uh, on, on many regards. But I remember hearing, um, I forget what podcast it was on exactly. It might have been Mike Robertson's. It was Dave Tenney was talking about, well, it's like, well, I got a guy faster. But then he was like, just end up off sides, you know, like, like, yeah. and unless you can, and then like, that's crazy. Like in the sense of, I always like to think of, you know, track and field as this like super complex. You could really get in all the movements and team sport just run. That's like, no, like field sports, like really, there's a lot to it. Like there is so much to, and like you had just gone through your layers of how to coach it. It's like, if you mess up or miss one of the layers, it almost doesn't matter. Like you got faster and then you still got tackled in the backfield or, or you couldn't put it together with, with the system. Well, that here's was the thing, to right? So Jake Jensen, who's the, the translator for Bondichuk, speaking to him, speaking to Graham and, and trying to get, obviously I can't speak to Bondichuk directly because he doesn't speak English, but they're speaking to Jake asking the question of, you know, this system really makes sense. His his results speak for themselves in uh, the throws. How do we take those concepts and apply them to field-based sports? And the, the answer is kind of like with great difficulty because if you look at like that level of specialized developmental exercises in the stopwatch sports and, and for example, track, because I know Jonas uses a similar system with, with the sprints, a specialized developmental exercise is one in which you're highly confident, if not, you can guarantee that there's going to be transfer to the competition exercise because it's so highly specific. So, for example, if, I, if I'm a hammer thrower and I pick uh, like throwing, throwing the weight, maybe that's, I'm going to be highly confident that will transfer to, to throwing the hammer further. Now, if I'm a field sport athlete and my competition exercise is basically sprinting in the context of sport, so different starting positions, making decisions, changing direction, all that kind of stuff, and I take a tenth off of my 10-meter time, does that guarantee me or predict with a high level of confidence that I'm going to beat more defenders, score more tries, uh, make more tackles? And the answer is, unfortunately, no. And Jake makes the point that's because you've completely negated the influence of technical skill, uh, tactical awareness and decision making in the performance of that skill. So if you're not considering those variables, pure physical development is specialized preparatory at best in that it gives you the opportunity to then develop specialized preparation. But that's the, the challenge in team sports is because until you incorporate those elements it's effectively like general specific at best and to incorporate those elements you need to do a really good job of either building trust in that the sport coach will let you do it or educating the sport coach to say actually we need to work together on this stuff to realize performance on the field of play and i think you see this all the time people talk about game speed you know you see it in football at the combine say well not the best for you, but he's got game speed. And to me, the difference between game speed and combine speed is the ability to take that game speed, so that that, that combine speed, incorporate the tactical technical elements and execute it on, on the field of play. And that's, that's the real big challenge to me. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Oh, right on. And the only way it's really going to happen is if the, the sport coaches and the you know sports performance strength coaches can be speaking the same language they have the same like vocabulary and they can work together on it in a way otherwise i think it's it's really hard because it's almost like a 
an industry that was a little bit born out of you know born out of the barbell and 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 20 years ago had absolutely nothing to do with any of this stuff is almost yeah. you know to try to merge in you have to have that there has to be the the mutual um respect and 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 um talk on both ends that can can have that conversation and that's that's the challenge you know like the environment i'm in right now very very lucky in that you know we uh, we lock the doors behind them once a month and they have they don't have to but we get to present to our sport coaches once a month for half an hour on high performance concepts so that they have a, a basic understanding of what it is we're trying to achieve and likewise our athletic performance coaches our athletic trainers have to make a, a good attempt to understand the tactics and technique and game model of the sports that they're working with so that everyone is trying to have a fundamental understanding of what everyone around them is trying to do but specialize in their own area so that we're able to integrate everyone together and that's you know what eric does as, as the high performance manager he's he's the conductor trying to make everyone uh, play the same tune oh, that's really cool man i like it a lot um I'd like to go into actually like a little, a few little kind of practical examples. And, and before we we're talking about um, John Pryor, and then I've had John Kiley say this too on the show, but like there should be well, like a 20 or 30%, you were saying like error rate, like when you're doing introducing these skills or the coordination training, like it shouldn't be so routine and easy that you're just doing the same drill over and over again and think you're accomplishing something. Like there has to be the novelty factor, the learning factor. Um, yeah. So how do you... Uh, Take us through like, you know, maybe a, a system or a series where an athlete might present a certain way and something that you would try to accomplish. And I, I always think of like failure rate too. I'm like, well, what does that even mean? I mean, I don't have the experience. Like, do you trip over a cone? Did you like, did you miss yeah. the, the pass? Like, what does that mean? Um, I, well, let's, let's, uh, let's go completely the other way. So if you go into the typical North American football weight room, and you watch the boys do A skips, B skips, toe pops, all that kind of stuff. That is the antithesis of what the the two Johns are talking about because they're having a conversation, the mind's somewhere else, they're thinking about what they had for breakfast, all that kind of stuff, and they're still able to do the drills. And if you speak to John Kiley, what he, he talks about is there, ha there has to be risk, there has to be relevance, there has to be a challenge in order to grab your attention. You know, it has, to, it has to grab your attention. If there's no attention, there's no learning. If there's no learning, there's no adaptation. And I think it's almost like you can see it on guys' faces when you present them with a drill. It's like you can see the anxiety of like all the wobbles of them trying to figure out um, and, and execute those drills. But I think, you know, obviously I'm still learning all of this stuff myself. But if, if you think about the example we talked about with the fluctuating states or, or soft skill, what what can change from rep to rep if if we run on the rugby field maybe i'm carrying a ball not carrying a ball stiffness of the ground whether somebody's grabbing onto me pushing me over um yeah center of gravity start position the task i have to perform during um during the sprint maybe the angle of my torso i think there's a paper came out recently 60 to 70 percent of sprints in field-based sports are done with a uh, a, a turned torso to face an opponent to face the ball stuff like that everything is a skill and if you're not learning that skill you're you're not prepared so how how do i present athletes with variety and different tasks i'll try and vary all of those things at, at some point but 
this is the challenge is in collegiate athletics and in team-based sports there has to be a degree of systematization where you're trying to clone yourself and get people around you to deliver a relatively consistent level of service to the athletes because you want some kind of predictable outcome and then coming up with variations of drills to expose your athletes to whilst at the same time be variable facilitate learning all that kind of stuff that's that's the challenge but for me i change surfaces i change uh, body positions i change start positions i will change uh center of gravity so i i like the the tony holler progression use your arms hands on hips hands crossed across the body hands on ears he calls it the french 41 which is hands up the french <laughs> surrender pistol dowel overhead pressing um if if you want to go to quote jeff moyer full bosch you can start to add the water bags <laughs> uh crazy weights all that kind of stuff and if you think about you know you add in a few different surfaces you add in a few different skills a few different body positions with all of those uh conditions that's 50 or something drills right there and then you you can progress with you know speed timing reps per side all that kind of stuff but it's it's a mixed bag i will say though the a thing that i took away from chris corfus this year is that you don't necessarily do high variability or difficult drills for the performance of those drills themselves you're doing them for the subsequent effects when you take it away so providing variability and complexity to a drill might not help you run faster then once it's taken away you're going to find those attractive states more quickly and and tolerate those fluctuator states more quickly and that's that's one thing that i think learning from john Pryor with that that kind of stuff is is it going to make you run faster the answer is i don't know and you know i, I said this to john kylie and he he disagreed with me but if you look at jamaican track and field I doubt those guys have ever even seen a water bag. And they have all these guys running crazy, crazy times. Jonas, for example, has guys that are some of the fastest athletes in the UK. He does not go down that rabbit hole. So you can run extremely fast without going full Bosch. But what I think it allows you to do in field-based sports is it allows you to preserve your speed under variable conditions which is the name of the game because you're never going to be running in a perfect straight line in a closed environment in, in team-based sports. There's always going to be something trying to push you off and it's how well can you preserve your speed in those conditions. Right on. I like what you said about uh, the, the tilted torso. I had no idea it was that high of a percentage because I, I, you see I, I, when it, what comes to mind when I think about coordination drills like what John Pryor is doing in rugby, I think of a guy running with his torso at, and I'm, I'm coming off a microphone to like to do this um, at, at 45 degrees or, or, or turning back and forth. And I think to myself, well, like basically if you just, if you're training team sports, that's super easy. Just the easiest thing you could do is just say, okay, we're going to take this battery that I already have and just do it with a tilted torso or tilt back and forth and those types of things. For sure. But you know, it's like, I think you, to, to earn the right to do certain drills, you have to, you have to do it. You have to do it not perfectly. You have to you have to master it or do it have a high level of mastery first in a in a more simple variation. So, for example, if you cannot run with a decent level of efficiency and mastery in a straight line when no one's touching you, should we break out the torso turning, have someone push you over, add some instability, or change the start position? Yet, 
No, I would I would argue no. But by that same token, are you prepared for the highly unpredictable environments of, of team sports if you only ever run in a straight line? And the answer is obviously no. So if again, if everything's a skill, you have to be able to sprint from you know your belly, half kneeling, side on, uh, jogging start, walking start, all that kind of stuff. These these are environments which athletes have to be robust to. And I put it up on Instagram the other week. Whatever situation it is, physically, tactically, technically, or psychologically, that you're going to put your athletes in on the field of play, you don't want that to be the first time they've ever done it, because the results are not going to be pretty. So you're, you're trying to prepare as much as possible for what they're going to face. Uh, within all this work, too, Kier, um what's your take on like the the perception, the action, the using humans or a ball or external stimuli within the course of this training? absolutely massive because i forget the, the the paper but if you put elite and sub elite games players through a, a closed environment change of direction drill absolutely no difference between elite and sub elite so if you know if you look at like the ooda loop observe orient decide act it's not in the action it's in the ability to perceive one's environment process information to derive meaning from it to run synthesis and analysis. Synthesis, oh, sorry, analysis is what does all this information mean? What is uh, going to be the most uh, successful scenario for me? Which of these actions should I select? How should I execute it? And then put it into action and be able to close that loop as quickly as possible because if we're competing and I close my loop faster, you have to reset yours. You, If you look at the research, if you look at your elite athletes playing sport and then you look at those numbers of change of direction, like, hang on, something doesn't add up here, you realize that the, the key difference, again, with game speed, lies in the ability to, to perceive the environment, derive meaning, select an action, and then, and then execute it. And an analogy I use a lot is everyone will agree Roger Federer is an extremely agile athlete. Now, if you put him in table tennis... Is he going to be just as agile? And the answer is no, because even though the movements are extremely similar, you know, staying square to the opponent, shuffling laterally and, and executing skills, the, the timing, the, the nature of the sensory information that he's presented with is completely alien to him. So he's not going to be agile and, and, and vice versa. This is why uh, track and field athletes for doping bans or for whatever reason have tried to jump into field-based sports have come up short and uh usain bolt central coast mariners last week you see him this is the fastest man who's ever lived not being able to keep up with the ball that was passed just in front of him this is a guy that runs like v max of 12.4 why is he not looking so fast all of a sudden and it's because he's he spent until the age of 30 not really being in that world of processing that sensory information so Yes, it, you know, a long, long answer of yes, it's, it's absolutely massive. And I think what we have to do as strength coaches, it, let's, let's not use the word strength coach, as an athletic performance coach, a coach who's interested in performance on the field, you have to do a really careful job of working with your sport coaches to make sure that you are only presenting your athletes with relevant, pertinent sensory information because they are going to link that information with a subsequent action. So this is why the SAQ bouncy ball stuff 
is not going to get it done because it's just not relevant. It, it has to be sport position skill specific for you to to fully realize agility on the field of play, in my opinion. Oh, no, right on. Have you, um, you're talking about Federer and table tennis. Have you read the book Bounce, Kier? Yeah, yeah, I have. Uh, oh, yeah, I was like, it must he, be, he, he must be coming from of, somewhere, yeah. right? Like, uh, Mitch, yeah. yeah. He gets a lot of criticism in terms of his journalism. I think, you know, with, with uh, yeah, I won't get into it, but like, I disagree with a lot of what he says, but that to me is a good example of athletic ability is not just transferable between sports. You know, Michael Jordan was a lot better basketball player than he was a baseball player. Yeah. Same with Bo Jackson in football, you know? <clears throat> yeah, uh, would you, yeah, when you said Federer, I was thinking about that t- point in the book where it's like the guy who wrote the book who was the table tennis guy played Federer, you know, the tennis guy, and like some archaic, like, it was yeah. almost like tennis on a squash-sized court or something weird, and they uh-huh. both sucked. Because <laughs> it was yeah, just, yeah. The, all the perception was totally different. Like, they, it's just... You know, it's amazing. And even within a racket sport, right? Like how, uh, how specific well, in, those... In the combat sports as well, you see uh, boxers and kickboxers come into MMA and suddenly the stances are a little bit different, the timing's off, all that kind of stuff. And it's it's really, really interesting just to see how a small change changes everything. <laughs> yeah, timing and like sensation and perception is just such a... I think that's it's a huge rabbit hole, but I think it's super underrated and just how little things can can make that difference. But but you think about that, just how you can change the drill set that you're using to put an athlete in a slightly different position to react could have a, a big change for them, especially if you're like we're able to study their film and say, okay, when your feet are here, it doesn't end up so well for you or something like that. I don't know. Um, but repetition it, without repetition. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right on. Uh, I like too. It's like uh, the the difference between the amateur and the pros. You mentioned like like maybe they have the same you know speed like forty time, but it, that's not the difference maker. I always felt like the combine was almost more like it was more like like where sport strength coaches got to be track coaches for a few months, you know, and yeah. which is awesome. It's, like it's, it's a meat market, but it's like you know until you know not even even in the most important speed positions, the fastest guy is not getting first pick, so. It, it it's like Malcolm Gladwell talks about in Outliers. How tall do you have to be to be to play in the NBA? Six something. If you're nine feet tall, does that mean you, you you're going to be the world's best player? No, because it's like you have to achieve the minimum standard. This is what Fergus Connolly talks about. Physically, you have to achieve the minimum standard to, to just survive in the league. And then other factors are really going to be the the difference in in how good of a player you're going to be. And you know, I've in rugby. I've worked at every single league from the World Cup all the way down to like grassroots amateur. And it's like, they're, they're strong, big, strong, fast guys at every single level of the game. Obviously, there are more in the pros, but the, the difference is the, the best guys are PhDs in their sport. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the the comment is just to get your foot in the door. I always felt like you just have to run that time to get your foot in the door to be, you know, I mean, no one who runs a five two is going to be a running back, but in the NFL, yeah. but you know, once you get to have that speed, uh, I I I totally agree. I think that's that's really cool stuff. Um, it's just really cool to see how how that's all. I mean, once we know what to expect, it just it it makes a huge difference. Otherwise, it's just kind of like, well, I got you know my athlete as fast and strong as I could. You know, I did my job. Cool, like. <laughs> You know, and, yeah. and, and to be able to, to put together pieces to, to really like look beyond that, I think is really a big part of where this industry is certainly headed. Um, and so 
I guess, you know, the original way, too, if you have a lot of the skills growing up, it would just be, like, the small-sided games, like playing futsal. Like, if you're a kid in Brazil and well, maybe you have all these physical competencies because you've just been playing your whole life, right? Like, and you have the soft skills, I guess, like, then... Well, that's that's the thing, you know. Have you ever interviewed James Smith? Uh, which 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 one? The you, you... governing dynamics of coaching. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't have... read that book, but I've, I've okay. I, it's it's on the long, long to do list to he read. He is a genius. He is the the rain man of uh, physical preparation <laughs> and uh, a sport performance. You know, he he doesn't like to be called a strength coach now. Like he likes to be called a sport consultant. But he his argument is that to achieve elite sporting success. You, you just need two things. One is a population base and the second is sporting culture because if you have a big enough population, you're going to get the freaks anyway. <laughs> if you have the sporting culture, you are going to direct your naturally gifted athletes towards that sport anyway. So, for example, if you, you can have the genetics to be the world's best freestyle wrestler, if you're born in the UK, good luck. If you're born in Central Asia or Russia, now you're onto something. And it's like, if you're yeah, a, a sprinter, you want to be born in Jamaica. So it's like, you just, you really just need those two things. And then everything else is almost like a secondary detail. Yeah. I don't know how many, I don't know how many bears there are to wrestle in the, the UK here. I mean, you know better than <laughs> <laughs> not, not many. <laughs> All right. On. I actually, that, that actually makes me think of um, the next question I had in line for you too. And, and I think I've seen you do uh, similar things, but you talked about MMA, but like the use of um, like grappling type work for contact or collision sports. Um, what, what's your thoughts on that or as a, as a tool or a training mechanism or, or even just something you can do for fun to warm up? Like what do you, how do you utilize that stuff? So, again, to quote James, what is, what is specialized physical preparation for field-based sports? And it's normally, well, there's a few different things. My, my thing is if you had to write down on a postcard what it is you do better than anyone else in the field of play, that's probably SPP for your position. James's is what, is the, what do you get most tired doing on the field of play? Because it's going to be high intensity actions, and low intensity action is 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 not the difference between athletes. It's high intensity sporting action. And if if you look at that, the answer in rugby and probably not American football as much, because you have guys that only play on one side of the ball. But in in rugby, you get most tired fighting or running into other people huh. and sprinting. So if you uh, want to be as robust as possible to the demands of the environment, you have to maximize your outputs in those two activities. And a, a colleague of mine, Tom Farrow, who is, we used to work together at London Wasps, he's a freestyle wrestler in his spare time and also an excellent athletic performance coach. He's head of England Rugby Sevens who came second in Rio. He's, he wasn't in charge then, but he is now. He came into to our team in japan as, as a grappling consultant and his his concepts on grappling for for team sports are absolutely excellent and it it's, it's the same concepts as sprinting there are going to be a certain amount of movement patterns that you have to use in the sport of rugby in in the grappling environment that you must be able to solve sporting problems with you have to be adaptable to uh an, a changing environment which is going to be what your opponent's doing and it's a skill that must be learned. So the curriculum that we came up with was, well, firstly, can you control your own body in space in basic gymnastic crawling type patterns? Because 
if you cannot control your own body in space, you've not earned the right to try and manipulate somebody else's. All right. So once you've done that, then you have to say, well, if I can move my body in space, execute a variety of different move, movement patterns to respond to an unpredictable environment, now I have to take those skills, open the environment, and try to uh, adapt them to solve problems that we're going to find in the sport. So in, in rugby, let's say we're tackling. There's going to be the tap tackle, the low tackle, the chop tackle, tackle at, um, you know kind of around the waist. Uh, a choke tackle, which is where you try and lift them up off the floor. There may be a snap down because your opponent's facing down. These are all skills that have to be mastered. First at slow speed with a, a low level of complexity or competition from the, the opposition. And then you speed it up and it gets more difficult. And we're still putting you in an environment where you have to elicit the behavior, sorry, exhibit the behavior that I want to see. Then I'm going to put you into a drill situation. So now maybe you have to pay attention to the guy running at you his support player, where you are in space, what the most appropriate action is for you to solve that problem. And we'll keep doing that. And then once I, once I can do it successfully in a drill situation, then I'm going to put you in a game variation where I don't say, you know, Joel, I want you to do this skill or I've put you in a situation where you have to use the skill that I want to see. I'm putting you in a game situation where I've just presented you with a problem. You have to solve it and you're going to discover for yourself what the best solution is based on your personal style, your strengths, your weaknesses, and all those different factors. And that's, that's the grapple curriculum. It's very, very similar to the speed curriculum. And that's because we're trying to have consistent themes throughout everything that we're doing relative to where we are in the preparation of the, the year of the athletes career. Oh, that's awesome, man. I love how you link that to the different like types of, of hits and blocks. And, and then it's, um, it's just something too, I noticed every time you have in the weight room, there's contact in the weight room, the, the energy just is completely different. Like, or even just partners resisting each other on barbells as simple as that like even just that it's like if there's human interaction one person against the other totally different energy and and that's something i've you know i started jujitsu i I quit rugby two years ago just because of work and all that kind of stuff switched to jujitsu and that you know the first few weeks where you're like i know i'm stronger than this guy like i just got manhandled by this like 135 pound japanese guy I'm like, mm, some, something is not right here. And then you realize like, damn, like this strength is taking me just so far and then no further. And if you think you've got athletes that have to be able to apply these skills in a game, the weight room alone is not going to cut it. And let's say, you know, good, good, good game by a defensive player in American football, 15 tackles, 15 reps is, you know, relying on those 15 reps once a week to make you a master of those skills not going to cut it like you need to you need to dedicate time in the training week to, to master it and the weight room is not going to do it yeah i the way we apply collisions in sport like it's it's the the skill of that i think could really be dug into but that's really cool what you do with that i like how i almost think of like there's like different forms of fitness you know like whatever crossfit and all these things it's like the metcon could be fight and run fight and run fight and run yeah. that's basically rugby right like that's good run, running and fighting yeah yeah i like that way of thinking of it though uh cool stuff here uh all right so actually i remembered something i was gonna say because my next thought on and what i was going to talk to you about was a little bit of data tracking and, and gps and obviously you were talking about energy systems how the energy flows well i was thinking we were back to our what we were saying before is um you know that the combine I, I remember seeing on the the gps is crazy now like you see how fast players run in practice in the game and 
and that's awesome. And it was like Leonard Fournette had what twenty two miles an hour that one week. And I remember he ran four fifty or four forty nine the comet, which is like good, but it's like, well, what about those guys who ran four thirty? Like, you know, like just and I'm like, you throw pads on someone and they're in the game and you have the adrenaline of the game. And I'm like, how different is this? This is it's just so interesting to me. That's the value of that the the, the sports science tech now is because you know, to mention JP again, because we, we, we went to dinner in, in Tokyo and I was like, well, this, you know, this Franz Bosch stuff is great. The idea, you know, what he talks about in the book, some of the ideas make sense. Where are the numbers to back it up? And he said, well, I've got those numbers because I've got all the peak Axel values from Catapult for Japan for all of the years that we've done it. And he said, you know, X player, I won't mention his name, X player will achieve uh this many meters per second per second when we do these drills and when we don't he doesn't and that's really really useful and interestingly if you uh, in my experience if you want to see rugby athletes run slower put them by the gates put them by the gates put them in a situation by themselves and say run as fast as you can between this point and this point because again psychologically that's an environment you put them in that they are not used to not robust to so colleague of mine from london wasps back in the day sam sam portland he actually has to go through stress inoculation with his rugby players with the gates so they do a speed session and he just puts the gates out next to them doesn't switch them on doesn't line them up nothing just puts the gates out there so they get used to the side <laughs> of them then they run reps through the gates and they're switched off then they run reps through the gates and it's switched on and they can hear the beeps but they don't get the time then he gets them to run through and they have to run to a set time that's below their max. So he calls it like a uh, speed gate golf. How close can you get to 1.8, 2, whatever. And then they run the reps and then they run fast. And it's almost like they're going to run faster if you put them in a competition situation with the ball because they have the context and it's a situation they're used to. And that, that may be one reason why you see a, a guy like Leonard Fournette hitting those numbers because that's the environment that he's best at and the one that he thrives in. Yeah, uh, I, that's awesome. I, I love that stress inoculation and you mentioning yeah. when you throw the gates up for rugby players and even for me personally, like, so I mean, track was my biggest sport, but I, I grew up playing soccer and basketball and my coach had always referred to me as one of the fastest guys on the team. But when I would run the 30 meters in track, I was actually not that fast. And But when we would do different acceleration complexes, like you line your belly and get up and sprint or line your back and roll over and sprint, I'd kick people's ass who were way faster than me. And I think yeah. part of it's just like the competition would help me that I was a little bit more agile, but I think a lot about as soon as the timing gates go up, if you're a more forebrain person, it's like, Oh, how do I do this? Like, even if you've been doing it for a while and, and I had this realization, um, I, I still am 35 now. I still go out and run, you know, tens and thirties and things and one fifties. And, and I, I have, um, I haven't, I'm not far enough in the postural restoration rabbit hole to figure out why I keep tweaking my right groin. It's you know something I'll figure out something to do with my TFL and glute me, but but I, I often run a certain if I run a certain amount of sprints, my right groin will start to like start to act up on me a little bit, and I have to slowly but surely stop. And then but I put um I've been messing around with the, the David Wex pulsers, and and I find if I have one of those in my hand and I run, I don't pull my groin. Well, why the hell would I not pull my groin? Well, I don't. It takes me out of my forebrain. And it's like a timing sink. But then I'm like, I think that's the same reason that I was really fast at T. It's like. It's just, I just run and I'm not, I let my subconscious deal with the running and I'm thinking about something else. And I think that's really you know, I, powerful. I asked Jonas about this. Yeah. I asked Jonas, you know, he, he basically said, when it's time to run, 
run. Yeah. Because like if you if you're it you're it's always better as a coach to shape the learning environment for the athlete to allow them to discover an optimal optimal movement solution for themselves rather than spoon feed and force them to think consciously about it. And he said because when they line up in in the blocks for the race, you do not want them to be thinking. Yes. You, you just want it to be pure reflex. Yeah. Oh, right on. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, it's cool. I, I just, I go back to like the, it's almost like you could use that inoculation, like, okay, here's this timing gate. It's almost like, or th- here's this way of tracking it. Does this make you slower? Here's this way of tracking it. Does this make you slower? Like, or just yeah. pr- a process to make people, if you were doing linear sprinting to a process of making it, you know, um, as, as subconscious as possible. And, and I'm sure it'd be different for everybody. No, I think stress inoculation is actually what people perceive mental toughness to be in in team-based sports. I'm I'm guessing it doesn't happen as much in track and field, but if you ask the majority of sport coaches what is mental toughness, it's basically rolling around in the dirt while somebody <laughs> calls you the c-word. But <laughs> it's just the ability to execute or perform at your best under intense physical and mental stress, and it's it's not getting hyped, slapping each other on the back, or that kind of stuff. It's just being able to remain calm and execute under high levels of stress. And the way that you do that is like, how do you squat 500 pounds? Well, first you have to squat 495, 490, 485, and work your way back until you find, right, what can I do now and do it well? And the same is true of psychological preparation for sports. Like what level of arousal or complexity or distraction can you execute perfectly? And then you just push the envelope a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more until it just becomes, um, business as usual and you know it's, it's a little bit of uh, like a popular book but i've read uh overcoming fear a navy seals guide and it's like if you can't swim don't jump in the pool and start running laps it's like stand in the water lay down holding onto the side put your face under the water for 10 seconds and you you may disagree but i read somewhere that asafa powell is the most consistent sub 10 sprinter that ever lived like he just had to turn up and he'd, he'd run sub 10. And yet Usain Bolt is the most successful sprinter of all time. And if you look at how Usain Bolt did in major competitions, that's where he got his personal records. Asafa Power set his, his personal best in his world records in far less significant meets. And whenever it came to the big stage, he shit the bed. <laughs> so perhaps ta- uh, technically and physically, he was extremely gifted. And the difference for him was, was that stress inoculation. Yeah, I, I think there's there's absolutely so much to it, and uh, I think that that's where I think that that's where a lot of I mean it's just, I mean sports psychology in general, but it's it's a systematic way of doing it, and and I'll have to I'll have to keep that in mind just the way you run through the gates and stuff, and yeah, no, it's 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 right. I, it's like I have athletes too, and the, or what I was gonna say too. I was thinking about this is is mental toughness. I'm glad you brought that up because. Um, I heard this, it's like the mental toughness is, or whatever that means, right? But I guess what we think it is, is so context specific. Like, Absolutely. I mean, I, I trade swimmers and I, I'm not a swimmer by trade, but it, I'll jump in the pool and try to swim. And I, I have an engine. Like, I mean, I, I was always one of the guys on the court who could, a basketball court who could really go for a long time. And, um, and, and I would, I mean, one time I did, I was a sprinter and jumper in track, but I jumped in a 5k one time cause I got like badgered into it. And I, I, I ran under 20. It sucked. It was like literally one of the worst things I ever did. But I'll jump in the pool and, man, I can't do I can't do shit, man. Like, I mean, not even – I'm not saying like even sw- from a swimming perspective because I work with coaches where I can get my stroke okay. But it's just 
the comfort with the water, like the comfort level with being tired and being out of breath in the water, especially the breathing is just, it's on another level, Dude, man. I went to a Muay Thai class. The guy was a pro fighter and he said, what do you do? And I told him and he went, oh, you'd never catch me on one of those rugby pitches. I was like, dude, you get like you literally get locked in a cage with another guy who's trying to effectively kill you, and he's like, nah, rugby's not for me. It's it's really really specific to the situation. James uses the the analogy of like a Navy SEAL in a cage fighter. If you, if you take Conor McGregor, who displays immense mental toughness and, and resiliency in the cage, if you stick him in a plane and throw him out the middle of nowhere in in the pitch black it's not going to go well and, and, and vice versa. It's, it's what you become used to is, is what you become mentally tough to. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to, yeah, I was actually that example you gave. I was just going to say like the same thing I'd heard, like, yeah, Navy SEAL would say like, like I'm, I'm tough at what I do, but if you throw me on the football field, it's, I, I might, I'm probably not going to be as good. Likewise, you guys aren't going to be as good with my job mental t- mentally t- being being mentally tough so i'm glad you brought that up yeah awesome man um well you mentioned this before uh this might be um the last thing i think we can get to today but um you mentioned the prius um versus the bugatti or ferrari the hilux the hilux i guess insert insert whatever whatever car yeah Yeah, yeah. i think the prius is always the one that gets shit on kind of as the you know i mean I, i live in i live in berkeley california so a lot of priuses around here a nice car um but uh, so anyways, a robust versus one of the things I'm always asking is um, robust versus optimal. And then like, you know, health versus performance, right? Like, I mean, if I'm working with, with swimming or track and field, like I want you guys to do as fast as you can. Cool. Like right on. But like you're working with team sports. Uh, I mean, obviously you want them to get faster and, and you know, jump higher and cut harder. Right. But like what's... um one of the things I think about a lot is like showing people the opposite, like showing athletes the opposite. Like if you're always on the inside edge of your foot and the ball of your foot in your sport, always making cuts, like, do I need to show you, you know, showing you your heels or something, show you something that's different. I, I, so I guess what I'm saying is in the process of, of making athletes more like a Prius, what are some considerations for kind of keeping things more, more level with them? Um, I think cross training, you know, getting out of the cycle of always doing the same stuff again and again is, is very, very important. Um, I think just in general, you know, if like always doing the same stuff, always eating the same stuff, having the same habits is, is not good in general. It's like, uh, here's another Talib example. Like the, the body craves variability. So in ICUs, if you put people on respirators and you keep the, the pressure at a constant value every single day, every minute, every hour, the rate of pneumonia is actually much, much higher than if it undulates and goes huh. up and down. Same in um, movement. One of the main criticisms of the Smith machine is it doesn't allow for movement variability and you're just going through the same um, motor pattern again and again, stressing the same tissues and you're going to incur injury. You know, I think people eat the same foods all the time. I read that it's going to increase uh, sensitivities or intolerances. So it's just have, having variability in there and, again, being robust because effectively we're talking about specialization. And this has been a big thing for me with programming this year. I got to meet Miladin Jovanovic after something like 10 years. We hung out in Argentina and I took on, on board his ideas about agile periodization and agile programming. And it's 
what he what he talks about with that is mixing up what you're doing and prevent and um, presenting a novel stimulus to the body is probably the route to go in terms of training but the, the the trick is how you do it and not turn it into crossfit there has to be a method to to the periodization i have to say you know i'm i'm lighter now than i was seven eight years ago i'm much much stronger now than i was then because and it, it, actually it's been a very very productive uh, way of training for me but i actually repeat the same session maybe once every in terms of rep schemes and exercises maybe once every six months is it's that different and it seems to be, you seem to be responding to it quite well so again it's it just boils down to the thing of how do you specialize at a few things while still being robust to everything yeah that's that's something i think of um a lot in context of like the bonder chuck system right because that's the polar opposite and that's obviously you only are doing one thing you are throwing the hammer or the shot or the or maybe you throw two things but yeah. um non-volatile environment though. yeah but even then in the throws you could argue what about wind what about wet surface what about you know if you you cut your hand you have to change your grip what about a new glove all that kind of stuff those hopefully if you're going to be a high performing thrower you're going to have to be able to to work in those conditions yeah i I do think that there is something when you have an external object that you're training that's your sport there's more variability inherent in that like a discus like the motor map your brain has to kind of map that discus in your hand too there's a little bit more going on than just sprinting that you've done your whole life from age two you know and there's there's less things so I've always felt like, because I've heard that that system works, you know, the best for throwers, and then you know people try it for sprinting and other things. But I don't, I don't know that it's it. If it worked amazingly, I don't. I think it would have taken on a little more. And so I'm always looking at like that, yeah, like, like with the, because I mean I'm, I'm a huge variability guy. I mean I'm definitely a big. Uh, if anything, on the small end, I I, I use two week cycles instead of one. I, that's my my grand moment. <laughs> it's just yeah. just don't repeat a workout for two weeks, and I'll start there. Um, and I, and I like that. I think it works a lot better than doing the same workout every week and deloading a fourth week or whatever, like the typical yeah. is, at least in my experience. Yeah. And you know, I've, I've, uncle Mike Boyle, it was, uh, he's, he's been right about many things. You don't need to squat. And another thing he was right about, um, is, you know, periodization is, is effectively natural. Yeah. Life is going to present you with, with deloads, with, with heavy loads or that kind of stuff. There has to be some kind of planning and, and logic to it, but, you know, he he was absolutely right about that as well. He's wrong about how uh, aerobics make you slow, fat, and weak, but <laughs> we've we've had that discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, right. I mean, yeah, shoot. Like I, I always say, if you are try, if you're too rigid in your periodization and and you you know in coaching and everything's super rigid, eventually you're probably going to get hurt, and there's your deload, and then you'll probably set a PR after you know your <laughs> you'll come off your yeah. injury happens it's happened to me multiple times i've well, seen you know, it look, look at the kids here in one three weeks they're gonna have finals guess what we're gonna do in training we're yeah. probably not gonna push this hard yeah yeah all right um all right care well hey i think that's all the questions i had today but i love it man awesome um awesome talking to you catching up finally being able to to connect so uh, really awesome. cool stuff because it's going to give me a lot of things to think about and I love the integration to a lot of like Taleb and just and, and and life in general to to the training so very cool today thank you mate my pleasure that does it for another episode thanks for being on this journey with us through 125 episodes 
I see those these quarter gradients on the century scale, and it's it's hard to believe we've come so far. But I think of all the the knowledge that's gone through this show, and the guests who have really um, blessed me by being here and a part of it, and it's just awesome. So thanks for being on this journey with us. Please visit our sponsor at simplyfaster.com. If you enjoyed the show, rate us or leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And we'll see you guys next week with a Q&A featuring myself. I'm excited to answer your questions. So keep an eye out for that on social media. We'll see you soon.